0: This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. but anyways it was fucking gross it smelled so bad you probably haven't smelled rotting flesh in a while but it is not pleasant i haven't now like moldy chicken breast is like on another level no thanks it's a cautionary tale for everyone plug (laughs) your fridge back in after you fucking do a podcast recording before you fly to vancouver for five days yeah
1: yeah (sighs) Anyways, anyways let's uh let's get this puppy started or whatever
0: let's Take this dog for a walk. Yeah. That's what we should say. Hey, let's take this dog for a walk oh, and yeah, then we okay. record the podcast just because it's a canine theme.
1: Always searching for the new canine-themed catchphrase.
0: Yeah. Well, well welcome, everybody. This is uh, from Justin and Kane, but you know that because you freaking clicked on this shit and you're listening to it. But yeah. uh, cool. I'm Bob. I'm Mike. Uh, This week, I always say this and I always mean it, this week is a doozy. Let me tell you. What are the two movies, Mike?
1: So the two movies are Big... Directed by Penny Marshall, which came out in, like, what, 1989? 1988. 1988. Yeah. And um, the uh, first Neil Breen movie we've talked about on this podcast has been a while. But it's not we started. his first movie. It's not his first
0: movie, no, but it's the first one that we've watched and talked about. Is this your first Breen, Bob? I've, I've never uh, Breened. What's it called? Oh man, there's a joke in there. Fuck, I don't know what it is, but I want to find it. Like when you make a brine, or you're brining something, <laughs> you could be breening. Yeah, filled to the breen. I don't know. There's um, something. There's something there. I'll work on it.
1: Yeah. So um, this is our this is our first breen. It's fateful findings from 2013, I believe.
0: Yeah, it looks like it's from 2002, though. It
1: looks like it's from 2002. Like yeah, the car,
0: cars, and the phones, and yeah. the hair it's wild the technology is for sure from like a completely (laughs) other
1: decade which is maybe why the movie is so good because the technology is timeless in a way and that it's outdated from the time that it was even made
0: it felt like and i don't mean this in terms of quality but in terms of purely the technology side of things it felt like i was watching the pilot to sopranos wow that's a compliment no, I am I mean purely in terms of technology on screen. Oh, right, 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 right. That is super dated. Yeah, right,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, the technology, I didn't even like kind of realize that. I mean, there's a first similarity between Holy the two
0: shit. movies is that the
1: technology is from a different era in both movies. Yeah. So, there you go.
0: Dare I say, both films look and sound and feel like they're from 1988. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think Neil Breen films on prosumer cameras, or at least he used to. Yeah, that so sounds about right. He uses prosumer cameras when he's not u- using like just still image backgrounds in front of a green screen or when he's
0: not using stock footage backgrounds. What do you know about this guy? Like what's his fucking do?
1: Well, I mean, I can get into let we can just get we can get into it. Let's just get Let's into get
0: into it. it. Let's take this puppy for a walk. How about I feel like this is going to be the, one of those podcast episodes where we
1: just talk about one movie specifically for the most of the thing. And then the other one kind of just gets <laughs>
0: a bit of a shrift. So, you know, I, I will say big doesn't need more love. No, I guess it doesn't big, need big more love. is a heralded classic. It's an Oscar nominated film. Yeah. And true. it's a Golden Globe winning film. So, fuck, it doesn't need any. What love. did it, win? What, Neil Neil did it Bre- what was it nominated for an Oscar for? Uh, best screenplay and uh, best actor for Tom Hanks. Yeah. What, really? And guess what? He won Best Actor for a Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes that year. Wow. Isn't that that. nuts? Yeah, for such a shifty movie that's about nothing in a lot of ways, it Mm -hmm. did really well in awards season. Yeah, that is kind of And guess what? Guess who he lost to uh, for the Oscar for Best Actor? Uh, I don't remember. Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. which we should maybe do for the podcast. Mm, Maybe, yeah it seems like a we no. kind
1: of did when we talked about the super mario brothers movie which was famously written by the rain man writer and wanted to basically just make ray man rain man with the super mario brothers i must add ray man which is a video game but nope which is a super <laughs> mario brothers-esque game actually so maybe that's yeah. a freudian slip if somehow i don't know how but <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's uh well, let's get
0: into it yeah let's let's take a let's go to the dog park Sure, we'll go to the dog park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> woof, woof. So, hey, how about, you know what? Let's go off leash for a minute here.
1: Yeah, we're going to just go off leash. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. When we say things that are a little bit scandalous, we're going off leash. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, let's see. Fateful Findings came out in 2013. The poster describes it as a paranormal thriller where a computer hacker exposes worldwide secrets. And that is not an incorrect assessment of the film.
0: <laughs> it's also not right. No. In a lot it of doesn't ways. doesn't really
1: do anything, but.
0: <laughs> I, 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 well, real quick, I read that and then I watched it and I was like, when does the conspiracy part come in? And it's literally in the last eight minutes. Yes. Ugh, wild, wild. Uh, so if you've never seen a Neil Breen film,
1: he is like Tommy Wiseau adjacent, um, so he basically is one of those kind of random dudes who isn't, you know, the most Brad Pitt esque in terms of handsomeness. Kind of no, but Tommy
0: Wiseau's hotter. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau is more of a looker. Yeah, than Neil and Breen. a better butt for sure. Got a better butt for sure. Yeah, Neil Neil Breen's bottom is flat. It's pretty flat. So yeah,
1: so Neil directs, writes, produces, edits his movies, and. He's also in charge of production design, set decoration, makeup, sound editing, catering, casting, props, you name it. <laughs> Special effects, I'm sure.
0: Lo- locations PA. Locations PA. He's also PA. taking out the trash at the end of the day.
1: Well, I visited his Twitter account today and he he's making a movie as we speak. Oh, wow. He's working on his sixth feature film. Um. And he's he was looking for locations on Twitter. So he's like, hey, does anybody have a hospital and this other thing? So his next movie features a hospital and a mansion. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Talk
0: about hustle. That guy's he, got oh, hustle he's, for He's days. got hustle for sure. Good for so, him.
1: So yeah, he does pretty much all of the jobs on the movie, you know, short of shooting them and, I don't know, lighting them probably um, and being the other people in the movie because he can only be one person. Although he did make a movie recently where he plays an evil version of himself. So he plays like himself and his, and his brother twisted pair. Oh, that's fun. So he, yeah, he made a movie called twisted pair where he plays himself and his brother and his brother has like a clearly kind of uh theater props kind of, mustache and beard and it's like oh i gotta see this this looks really
0: good oh man talk about gold that guy makes nothing but fucking gold oh i
1: know yeah so in his in the credits for the movie he lists a bunch of fake companies in the credits did you watch the credits i did yeah so he lists a bunch of fake companies in the credits and then at the very end there's a little twist where he reveals that the credits with that had the the letter n or b in it neil breen uh that those were just fake, and that it was him doing that job. So he lists these, he makes up these company names, and then he just is like, No, it was me. So he doesn't even like just try and pull the wool over your eyes. He just spoils his own, like, little surprise.
0: But he does it in the same moment that you're like, Oh, wow, look at all the people involved in this. And yes, then he's exactly. like, Just kidding. It was all me. Yeah.
1: Which I think on some level, he, he thinks is impressive. And I guess it is really. He's not wrong, but. Well catering and directing and starring and writing and producing, just
0: doing all of the things is like catering is like a huge job. I bet you I'll bet fucking money. Mm-hmm. Three meals a day, just fucking hard boiled eggs and Ziploc bags. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you're right. I guarantee it. And pizza. This Those is are based the two on your own experience. Things. I've been on these shoots. I haven't worked with Neil Breen and I hope I never do, but you can I've come pretty, pretty damn close. I've worked on some real trash. Yeah. And, uh, I know what it feels like.
1: And you've been fed with
0: hard-boiled eggs in Ziploc bags? Yeah. Didn't I send you a photo? You did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you know. You it, know yeah, I did that's, it. That's twisted. And the director was in charge of the catering, literally. So I've been in this exact that's situation. That's beautiful. No, it's not. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's hell. It's um, hellscape. hellscape.
1: So uh, Fateful Findings uh, was declared one of the worst films ever made upon its release (laughs) uh, and immediately gained a cult following after it came out. Uh, And that is because this is his third movie. So after he had made two other movies, he had kind of already started the ball rolling on kind of creating a cult status as an outsider artist. Mm -hmm. This movie kind of delivered on the promises set forth by his original two movies so Mm -hmm. um yeah a lot of people were really excited when this movie came out to the point that he got into film festivals by invite what so like film festivals yeah so film festivals who are kind of riding the the room wave of because like 10 years after the room came out 2013 ish is when this movie came out so people were looking for the next room by then because it took about 10 years for the room to really be what it is like i think i saw the room in like 2010 or something like that, 2011. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think yeah, he was already kind of famous a little bit in cult circles, and so got invited to some film, some pretty big film festivals because of the cult appeal. And he did submit to things, and people were like, "Oh, we got to show this, even though it's the worst thing at our festival." But
0: well, you know, it's he, like he a circus. Through, like attraction like it's the same thing exactly right? you just want to see something scary and freaky
1: yeah he goes to film festivals all over the world <clears throat> and sells out theaters of like thousands of people because the movies are so good that they're bad you know or so bad mm-hmm. that they're good or depending on your opinion i guess either it could be true
0: yep <laughs> what an off-leash statement you just made wow yes.
1: well here's another off-leash statement so the writer nathan rabin who has written some film books. He used to be the AV club's head editor guy. He calls the fateful findings unconventional and as unpredictable as Citizen Kane, which is in many ways not wrong. I don't think that's true at all. (laughs) Well, it is unconventional, and it is surprising. Like You never know what's coming next.
0: That's true, but he's implying, I mean, he's conflating the two films or the things that make the two films interesting are not the same thing. Like the twists and turns of Citizen Kane are so interesting because it's all like a retrospective story. Yes. And also the
1: the technical aspects as well of Citizen Kane. That's why people think it's so great. Right,
0: right. Whereas, Whereas the this
1: one has no technical aspects to speak of.
0: I will say though, it's super technical in just per capita how many computers are on screen at yes. any one oh, time. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? But anyways, I think he's conflating like two things that should really be dealt with separately. Um to, to say something like that feels very uh, just wanting to like grab some attention, clickbait oh, kind of bullshit. 100%. You know what I mean? That's yeah. I, I'll I'll find that guy, punch him in the face. I think that's BS. I'm not going to back up that
1: statement. I'm just going to just say it because I just read it. Say it. That's yeah, what the yeah. I don't well, agree with good. it necessarily. I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying that's what somebody said about this film. Yeah, and he's well, a well-respected Faithful, writer
0: too. The film The film does end with uh, the sled on fire as well, right? It does, you know, yeah, the sled is on fire, and he's like. Oh no, all the government agency secrets were on the sled and now it's burning. Yes. Um, oh, the amount of suicide in the film. Oh uh, I love just, it. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> um
1: yeah. yeah, it's it's kinda hard to so this is this this one gets the from Justin McCain like stamp of approval in terms of like you gotta see it to believe it in many ways. Yes. Because we can describe it and it is funny that podcasts are an audio medium, but a lot of them deal with movies. Yes. Uh and this is one of those movies you just kind of see it to to believe it because the aesthetics are very particular and the choices, dramatic choices are all over the place.
0: I will say this has a, a very sort of immediate shared DNA with Lynch, David Lynch. Yes, I do did think, say that, yeah. I I will say this and I know you're probably going to disagree. If David Lynch put his name on this film, no one would bat an eye. No. Because he's made a lot of hyper, like, deliberate, poor choices to, like, make his sort of surrealist statement. Mm-hmm. And he, he he sort of employs bad filmmaking to to try to, like, convey an idea or an artistic expression. Interesting. But this film was trying to be good. It so
1: was that's, trying that's to be good, So that's where it yeah.
0: diverges. But, like, aesthetically, tonally, uh, musically, very much it feels like, inland empire or like some of his shorts in the mid aughts like where he's shooting on dv tape and it's like what the fuck is going on and he's employing like oscar-nominated actors who are being bad on purpose very much feels like that or as i texted you it feels like a david lynch fuck you movie which is uh everything except for elephant man yes
1: yeah the, yeah and dune it's like it's inadvertently surreal Like yes. i didn't mean to be surreal but, it, but, just, it, but it, it is the choices that they made just ended up being kind of surreal. It's it's it's,
0: it's wild. It's surreal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like as a viewer, you're like, I can't believe this is real. This yeah, exists. You're like, I
1: can't believe I'm watching this movie. Um, so a little bit, a little bit about Neil Breen himself. He mm-hmm. kind of maintains a little bit of an anonymity about his personal life because, as I read in a interview, he says you don't know what's going on with like identity issues and stuff so i think he his conspiracy theory kind of minded characters are probably close to his own views i would say a real
0: reflection of who he actually is yeah
1: and i mean he's not wrong in that there's like government corruption and insurance you know company scandals and all this stuff like whatever he was kind of ranting about at the end of the movie i'm Uh he's probably not wrong but definitely kind of has a childish uh, outlook on how the world works, mm-hmm. which is another similarity with Big.
0: That's right.
1: Neil Breen That's is right. an adult
0: who has a childish kind of outlook on the world. Well, there, maybe, maybe I can like jump on that. It's more, it's it's like less childish. It's more like there's a, a like a, an ignorance that they both have and they yeah. don't like. Oh, shit. I don't know. It's like it's not well articulated in either film that no. there's this sort of like ignorant perspective. But then they also are ben- they benefit from it.
1: Oh, 100 percent.
0: Like he, he benefits and also Tom Hanks, character, because he's so childish and ignorant and doesn't know anything. Everyone finds him refreshing and loves him. And sort yeah. of Neil Breen's character is treated the exact same way.
1: He's kind of treated as a savior character, despite his like
0: stupid views on the world. <laughs> Yeah, well, and both films show the character as a kid and as an adult.
1: That's true. Yeah, they transition from
0: childhood to adulthood
1: within the first 10 minutes of both films. Yeah. So that's uh, another similarity. Great, great, great. What we do know about Neil is he's a Las Vegas architect by day. And he was a real estate agent. He still might, although I think he's now a full-time filmmaker. But uh, he famously used his saved money from his day job as an architect to fund his own films. Mm Mm-hmm. He's defiant of the film's so good it's bad marketing hook. So when he did get a distributor for his film, he did not he wanted to be in charge of the marketing and like I guess all aspects of the process as always. And yeah, he was like defiant when they were just trying to sell it as like, Oh, it's so bad it's good, like a cult movie. He's like, No, it's not so bad it's good. It's like some people think it's good, some people think it's bad.
0: So So he's he's um not self aware. He's delusional.
1: I think he is or was at some point, but I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing where he's delusional to the point where he can make the movie because he thinks he's making great art. And then when the movie comes out and everybody is like, oh, this is a great, so bad, it's good movie. Mm -hmm. He embraces that, but then he he has fame now. And so that adds another layer of delusion to it where he is convinced he can he's making great films again instead of just being like oh i made a bad movie because i think also at a certain point once he understands that he's making bad movies then he's and he figures out the formula of what makes a you know bad movie good he Mm -hmm. will uh start jumping the shark with his next movie and it'll just be too self-aware like tommy Wiseau is already kind of in that space where he knows what's up now and yeah. he's making stuff and appearing in things. You know, Samurai Cop Two also was like they made a sequel to Samurai Cop, and it's like it's aware so, of how self-aware.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess well, like you and I have said this before on the podcast, but it has to have genuine intent for it to work as a so bad it's good. Yeah, if it's so bad on purpose, it's not so good. It's just like oh, you're phoning it in on the things that you think people will like because yeah. it's sort of an irony or whatever. Yeah, um, it's the genuineness that is why people want to watch it. It's interesting when people sell out, but there's also something weird where you reward filmmakers who are making garbage to then make more garbage. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Neil Breen is a good example of somebody who's being rewarded to make terrible stuff. Yeah, but
1: thankfully he doesn't seem to fully understand it yet. And good. I have some quotes from the man that I will read later. Oh, that, that kind God. of delve into his psyche a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh but anyway just a couple of more things i mean this movie did remind me of when we watched loquisha uh Mm -hmm. that guy jeremy Saville, who casts himself as the flawless hero and did like all the jobs on set and it was kind of like an ego boosting movie in a way like there's like an element of ego like throughout the entire film uh and he just like makes a movie he has no concept of how bad it is plus also his personal politics really fit into it so yeah it's kind of a really reminded me of Luqisha and jeremy savile although you know obviously not far and away not as racist as jeremy savile's film so
0: no but both films uh or no not really i guess loquisha but a lot of these guys write and center themselves in films where they have to make out or have sex with more than one female co-star Yes,
1: who are Which is half always his age.
0: kind of this dicey thing. Yeah. Um, maybe a similarity is there's unnecessary romance in both films.
1: Unnecessary romance, yeah, with an age yeah, gap, it's a
0: huge age gap. Yeah, it seems excessive. Yeah, there is a huge age gap cuz the women he's with are clearly in their 20s. Yeah, I
1: yeah, I wrote down in my notes both films have pedo vibes.
0: <laughs> which
1: is you
0: know, very true. Yeah, honestly, uh, it's spot on. I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: Because, yeah, big, obviously, you know, a big thing about the movie that hasn't aged well at all, and weird that it was fine in the 80s, I guess. Nobody blinked an eye at this. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Tom Hanks' character becomes the titular big. Mm-hmm. He uh, then gets a job at a toy company, and then one of his coworkers he becomes romantically involved with. But he's, like, still technically 13, yeah in his brain at least but his body is adult so i don't mm-hmm. know there's like weird blurred lines there but she fell in love with a 13 year old brain i guess so that is questionable but then in um fateful findings yeah like neil breen is making out with women who are clearly half his age he must be in his 50s oh yes yeah. She, they're all in their 20s and then there's also a teenager who he like watches kind of dis-road. undress disrobe at a swimming pool and then in the shower and stuff and then but then he's against it he's just telling trying trying to tell her to not be horny for him
0: (laughs) yeah well and another shared trait with david lynch i was actually thinking i was like this would feel more like a david lynch film if the nudity was even more overt because he was sort of like the the nudity was still sort of hidden and suggested it was like never just like full frontal or anything it was always just like oh they're kind of naked but kind of not whereas like lynch is very much like well let's have a whole dialogue scene in a lodge with strobe lights and just people don't have shirts on
1: yeah
0: and it's like oh yeah that's what movie is this classic lynch uh fire walk with me
1: oh i haven't seen that movie yet
0: oh yeah it's this super specific scene i'm describing that's like just unnecessary they're all Mm. like doing drugs in the lodge and uh the French Canadian guys like there, and then like Laura Palmer shirtless, and the other character. It just it doesn't matter. But anyways, classic hmm. Lynch, and they just have like a really long dialogue scene and do drugs, hmm. or like Blue Velvet, you know all that shit.
1: Um. So you can buy Fateful Findings from Breen directly on his website, FatefulFindings.biz, and uh, the website declares <laughs> that when you order it, you it will take four to six weeks to arrive. And and it contains no subtitles and no artwork, so you're just going to get a blank DVD-R, and it's not even you can't even buy it on Blu-ray. You can't get an HD version of it.
0: You'll be paying like thirty to forty dollars for like a Uh, just a DVD in a blank in a blank DVD case. Yeah, from like a you know, oh man, back when you could just get blank DVDs. It was
1: direct from the man himself.
0: Oh fuck, I love that. I love that he's like unabashedly. Just stating like there's no frills with this. You just you get in the disc, mm-hmm. it'll have a Sharpie on it saying Fateful Findings, D I R Neil Breen. Oh, I love it. Yeah, just in Sharpie. It's like I I guess want, it's signed I by one. him, sort of.
1: Um, his films have been described as Christian cinema adjacent because they, they aren't like explicitly religious, but there's like weird mysticism and kind of religious mm-hmm. overtones in all of his films, supposedly, especially this one. And Mm -hmm. then also the production values are, you know, low to mediocre. And then just the moralizing that is constantly happening in the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he recently came out with a five hour film in 2020 and it's not a documentary. He will constantly remind you of that, but it's basically a masterclass that he filmed of himself. Mm -hmm. So it's a five hour movie where he's sitting on his couch, just, telling you about how his process works and he kind of and it's like prohibitively expensive in the fact that it's like 120 dollars us to to buy it so it's wow. mainly geared towards film schools in his opinion so mm-hmm. i don't know on some level he clearly doesn't get it because he's doing a master class but then also very fascinating i'm sure there are neil breen fans who bought it because they're like i gotta see what this guy's process is like everyone wants to know more about this guy
0: well like morbid like even like what does the couch look like like where the fuck did he shoot it you know like is it in his living room or did he rent like an office foyer oh no it's clearly in
1: his it's clearly in his living room he has weird trinkets on the back like he has weird kind of mystical of you know native american probably like stuff in the background it looks like Uh, i watched i watched a 10 minute excerpt from it
0: on vimeo oh wow wow um, I think you know a really great incentive for sales. Uh, you know, is the notion of morbid curiosity. Exactly, and I think that's kind of what his entire career is built upon.
1: A hundred percent, yeah.
0: Especially like a hundred and twenty dollar masterclass. It's five hours. Yeah, Fuck. I know. Wow, that's hardcore, man. Yeah, that's hardcore. but it's not a documentary. Don't you forget. <laughs>
1: Uh, apparently his shooting process is usually 22 days also so he'll usually try and shoot everything in a month uh, that's pretty
0: good because i was kind of looking at fateful findings and i was like you could do this in five days easy <laughs> 22 days man they must be really chill days they must be pretty chill days yeah which is probably fun just work honestly on come show up
1: have an argument about nothing have your character get shot for some reason and then um, eat some
0: hard-boiled eggs and go home you know or, what i mean or make out with neil breen in the shower <laughs> with with a like a, a nighty on, yeah, 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 and there's just blood everywhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, and he's wearing a yeah. He's got like his head wrapped in a bandage, and he's still making out with somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh god,
1: it's so surreal. Here's a couple of quotes from the man himself, taken from various uh, websites and uh, publications. So fateful findings. When that hit the festivals, they went crazy. Now the festival market people realized Neil Breen spoken in third person. Was not just someone doing one film, then disappearing. This guy's for real. Uh, Next quote. What's common in my writing is a sense of entertainment, a sense of paranormal or mystical elements, and a sense of social commentary without being judgmental. In other words, I don't tell the audience, well, this is the right way, and that's the wrong way. I want to plant a seed of thought in the audience without getting too heavy-handed. Which in men, okay. yeah, if you've watched the end of Fateful Findings, you're like, mm, yeah, he clearly doesn't know what heavy handed means because he really explicit. But I mean, I guess you don't really know what he's getting at. No,
0: he's he's, he's like being vague and hyper specific at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, he just he's talks. just using buzzwords. Maybe we uh, can. Maybe I'll play a clip there just so people can hear it. This I think, I think his, his monologue, but include all the gunshots, please. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so. the governor, and yes, I was embezzling money or whatever. Bang.
2: I have discovered more information than any hacker ever has. Ever. What I have found will shock you. Here are the files and supporting documents. And supporting truths, the factual documents. I'm releasing these files to the public today. Money, payoffs, and greed were always the priority of my company like many companies. I'm afraid of going to prison. They now know my crimes. My releasing these files today will not endanger any innocent persons but they will identify governments and corporations that have committed fraudulent and criminal activities against mankind. These people must be punished and eliminated immediately. I resign today as president of the bank. For their lying, their greed, their injustices. We were all under pressure to operate in a deceiving way and cheat the customer. Goodbye.
1: They're all present for some reason at his like, um,
0: press Speech. conference yeah. and then all of the people, and then they all just kill themselves because they are, they've been exposed. Another sort of hyper Lynchian detail was that applause sound is yes. like such a classic sort of sound that Lynch would use to to like, you know, sort of give this sort of disturbing, uh sort of surreal soundscape to a scene where there's no audience present. Like mm-hmm. in that Rabbits film. Yeah. That's that's inside of Inland Empire. There's a lot of applause because it's supposed to be like a sitcom and whatever, and I was I just kept being like, This feels like fucking Inland Empire. Yeah. Oh, God, there's so many details that are so weird and lynching, but unintentionally.
1: Well, this movie also is set in the suburbs, kind of, is like a very suburban film.
0: And it yes.
1: uh, really goes to show not everything is A-OK. And that feels like lynching as well, where you kind of get the, the sense of like the 1950s slash 80s normalcy.
0: Uh, well, and there's like de- depictions by, like, the surrealism. of suburban spousal abuse. Yeah. Right. And that's like a classic lynching trope. Mm hmm. It's like beautiful white picket fence, and then blood drips down it. And it's like, oh shit! And that's like literally what happens in this fucking movie. <laughs> is is big Lynchian? Um, not in the slightest. No.
1: Okay. <laughs> I thought you it's, were going to try and make an argument for it.
0: I wish I could, because then it'd be a similarity, but I can't. It's too. Uh, it's too like ignorantly wholesome. Yes. It's not. It's not self-aware in terms of like the underbelly, because even like big in the first like 20 minutes is kind of disturbing because he's a a kid as a as a man but he's really scared and he checks into that hotel and the hotel's fucking scary and there's like people screaming and fighting outside you know it's scary yeah it's kind of spooky and you can tell that that was like you know I'll get into it later but anyways there's some tonal stuff that's interesting but anyways yeah. continue
1: so just i have a couple more quotes um he says how many filmmakers are literally a one man show like myself More and more audiences are appreciating the fact that I do that, knowing how hard it is to make a frigging feature film that's in the theaters. I like how he said frigging. And then this is a great, this is a great quote. You can design a car. So he's talking about just the fact that some people don't like his movies. Mm -hmm. And this is how he like justifies it in his brain. You can design Mm -hmm. a car and 50% of the people are going to say, I love the car. 50% of the people are going to say, I think it's an ugly car. What's the car designer supposed to do? Commit suicide? No. It's all part of the creative process. <laughs> so suicide seems to be a recurring theme in his work where people are just like, oh no, this is bad. And then they shoot themselves. <laughs> right? Life is getting is instantly hard for me now. I have to shoot myself in the face.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With this handgun, I was just holding the whole time yeah, in front of it, this green screen. And it's the Bang. same one that everybody else has. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. Uh, so anyway, that's all I got about Fateful Findings. Nice. That was riveting. Let's get back on leash now. You know, we're <laughs> we're 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 not in the dog park anymore. We're just no. on a trail in the valley on leash with our owners. Um yeah, just had to paint that picture. That was great. Thank you. Man, what a wild fucking movie. I have to say, I'm not upset we're talking about it because it's it's just so curious. It's I'm surprised like a, it took us so long to do Breen. Me too. Well, if, to be honest with you, I've never heard of him until yesterday. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're definitely more of a open. cinephile than I am. Or no, you're more of a bad movie guy than I am. Yeah.
1: This is one of those things where it's kind of been in the like the periphery of my, my brain for however long. And yeah. I've always been aware of it and I've always wanted to see it, but also I've never been motivated to just like straight up track it down and watch it. Mm-hmm. This was indeed a magical day.
0: If we were making a living doing this, I would make us spend some of our, our budget on the DVD just so we could see what it looks like. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But this is pro bono, folks. So... Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We, we do it for the love of it, not for the money. Hey, if you want to send us money, we're not going to argue. I guess put your walking collar on or Jesus your vest Christ. or your booties because it's the middle of the winter, baby. And let's go for a walk. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can't believe. So, this. rounding the first corner on this great walk, uh, we're talking about the film Big from 1988. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> you, you, you need to sniff that fire hydrant. That's okay. Let me tell you about the director. Uh, Penny he's going to do Marshall.
1: this every single every. Little
0: no, I'm going to I'm going to drop this okay. bit right now. It's exhausting. I can't. How many walking details can you possibly muster? Well, we got to... Oh, I found gonna find a piece out. of found a piece of poo poo on the ground from another dog. You're probably going to eat it a little bit, aren't you? Um, anyways. Okay. So Penny Marshall, uh, directed this film, um, is written by Gary Ross and Ann Spielberg.
1: Okay. Yeah. Of the, um, of the film, uh, dynasty Spielberg's,
0: I believe a wife. Oh, really? I think, well, fuck me. Let me look it up real quick. I honestly spent all my time on Penny Marshall cause she's super interesting.
1: Oh yeah, she's the sister
0: of of uh Steven. Oh, sister. Ooh, it'd be real awkward if there were husband and wife, too. Ooh. 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 Okay, so the sister of Steven Spielberg. Um, okay, so big. Directed by Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall, very famous actor and director. Yes. Um, she started acting in nineteen sixty eight. Uh, and then uh, her last role is in 2016, and I believe she died in 2018. Correct. Uh, she directed some pretty big movies. Uh, big, Awakenings, A League of Their Own, Renaissance Man with Danny DeVito, The Preacher's Wife, and Riding in Cars with Boys. Her uh, big role came when she played a character on Happy Days that dated um, the main character of that show. I forget his name already. Whoops. But anyways... Uh, so she Richie? had a role on Odd Couple. Yeah, she dated um Oh fuck me, I gotta look this up. Uh Ron I didn't Howard? write down the character. Uh let's you Played Richie out. on
1: Happy Days? Unless you're talking about the Fonz. You definitely not talk about Ralph Mouth.
0: Oh yeah. So she played Myrna in the Odd Couple. Mm-hmm. Myrna DeFazio. That got its own show called Laverne and, and Shirley. Shirley. Yeah. And so that's like her most famous role. Yes. She's married to Rob Reiner for like a decade. Yeah, Laverne DeFazio. Who the hell's that? I've never seen this show. I don't know anything about Happy Days, but I know it's famous. So she was on Happy Days. She met Rob Reiner. They got married. Is what mm-hmm. I was trying to say. Yeah, um, Happy Days
1: is like this weird kind of center point in the sitcom universe because well, it, it seems it seems like a pillar. Into, it spins off into other shows, like or a lot of other shows that are kind of revolving around it. Because Mork and Mindy with Robin Williams was a spin-off of of uh happy days was it uh-huh yeah they did like a uh an episode with um him he was mork from orc so i guess he was an alien visiting happy days i never actually watched those episodes and then they spun spun that off to mork and mindy where he's like an alien living on earth there's like a couple of
0: sitcoms in the 80s about aliens shout out to alf oh wait 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 i goofed this up so penny marshall played Myrna Turner on The Odd Couple, mm-hmm. and that's where she met Rob Reiner. Uh, okay. And then after that, she got a role, because of her brother was like a producer or something on Happy Days, she got a role of Laverne DeFazio, and then that got Laverne and Shirley. So, she's like intrinsically tied with these like huge TV shows. I've never seen either of them. I don't know the premise. I didn't look this up. I should have.
1: She's also a bad person. She's also, well, her brother is Gary Marshall. Yes, who's like a
0: a heavy hitter in in the TV world.
1: Gary Marshall was the one who was on, who was like the TV writer producer for Happy Days?
0: I believe so. He's also the one who gave her her first role Mm -hmm. in 1968. How sweet it is. She was uh, a smaller character.
1: Yeah, and he directed most of your favorite films. Did pretty, he? Pretty Woman, <gasps> Princess Diaries. Just like he did, a, he did a whole bunch of rom-coms. He's like the rom-com director.
0: Oh, I got to look him up. Why didn't I spend more time on him? Anyways, I guess it doesn't really matter. But uh, Penny Marshall's a heavy hitter. She's had like a pretty crazy career, both as yeah. an actor and as a director. Yeah, I have no idea how she got into directing, but... Her uh, friggin' uh, friggin' directin' shit. Let me just look this up real quick. Um, so she directed Jumpin' Jack Flash, mm-hmm. which I don't know what the fuck that is. It's a Whoopi Goldberg, an American computer whiz who works at a New York bank, is suddenly thrust into the world of international espionage after she inadvertently receives a coded message from a British spy. Sounds like Neil Breen film. Uh, honestly, it kind of does, but her, her thing was like uh family comedies. Yes. That's like, that's like her whole vibe, kind of her whole filmography is very light and fluffy. Yes. Um, just in terms of tone, but uh, yeah. So basically the big films are big awakenings, which is not a light and fluffy film, but also not too heavy. A league of their own classic Renaissance man, preacher's wife riding in cars with boys. And then she did some TV her right. last thing was a thing called Rodman. It's the story of NBA Hall of Famer Dennis Rodman told by Penny Marshall. It's a documentary. Who knew? Mm. What the hell? It's, it came out in 2020. Oh, well, maybe it hasn't come out yet. Oh, Renaissance, anyway, so,
1: Renaissance Man was with Danny DeVito in the army.
0: Yes. Yeah. He's like like an entrepreneur hired by the army to get a bunch of recruits to pass basic training.
1: Yeah. 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 I remember that movie.
0: Do you? I have never seen it. Saw it on VHS. Okay. The Preacher's Wife, Denzel Washington, Whitney Houston. Yeah, that's right. An angel comes to Earth to help a preacher save his church and his family. Oh, that's a remake of the David Niven film. Yeah, also very
1: very Breen-esque.
0: Yeah, honestly, these two directors maybe have some similar uh, intentionality. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. And then Riding in Cars with Boys, I believe I've seen. Yeah, yeah, Drew Barrymore. That's right. I've seen this movie um kind of a coming of age story anyways cool so yeah she directed some crazy shit but big big was like uh the titular big film that she directed to kind of <laughs> kick off her uh directing career which is pretty cool yeah wait um, she also opinion. directed oh you know what this makes sense so on laverne and shirley because she did it for so many years she ended up directing a bunch of episodes there you go that's how you get started you work in tv as an actor and then you freaking get to direct some shit after Oh, well, you want you
1: you spend so much time in front of the camera. It's just like you gotta be, you you realize. Oh, I've always wanted to work behind the
0: camera. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell people how to say these lines written by somebody else. Yeah,
1: sometimes, sometimes you just got to tell the story. You know, you gotta you find yourself oh. an actor, and then you're like, I, I really, I'm a storyteller.
0: Mike, I have another similarity. Okay, Neil Breen, Penny Marshall, both actor directors. Oh yes, correct. Um, uh, and producers who both produced a lot of shit, too, that they also star in. Also prone to sentimentality, I would say, in their films. That's true. And both make sort of like uh, maybe maybe slightly too optimistic of films? Mm, I guess so, yeah. Because I'd say like even how Faithful Findings ends is sort of optimistic because of how quickly he's able to suss out corruption and have them face consequences yeah that's not how it works the the system is rigged nobody gets in trouble when they have the power
1: I know well also so it's, it's like funny, common sense it's funny that the his girlfriend the girl that he was like reunited with at the beginning of yeah. the movie um he she's like you can't do this they're, you're gonna get killed like they're gonna come after you or whatever and then as soon as he does it as soon as he exposes the corruption they all mm-hmm. kill themselves and it's like well she was wrong
0: yeah well, isn't she almost killed? Uh, I don't remember that part. Oh, oh, they, they abduct her, remember? Oh, yeah, they do
1: abduct her, yeah. And then and then, and then the he's like,
0: I'm going to do something, but I can't tell you, but I'll tell you later. That yeah. made no sense. And then he just, like, disappears. Yeah. Holy fuck, man. Again, very Lynchian. I have a character in the frame just dissolve yeah. poorly, poorly executed, and then come back. Very Lynchian. Uh, all right, well, tell us more about uh, okay. Big... Uh, so, some notes on Big. Oh, also, this was the first film directed by a woman to gross over $100 million at the box office. Wow. In 1988. So, I mean, other films had made that money, but, you know, it's a misogynistic industry, and I feel like she was kind of a maverick in her time, um, just because she, like, made some massive, massive movies, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty cool. But uh, anyway, so they uh, here, here's a, sort of some info on the production itself. Um they filmed all so so to help Tom Hanks with how to behave as a child, um David Moscow who plays the young Tom Hanks character acted out every single adult scene.
1: Wow. And then
0: and then they filmed it. And then Tom Hanks watched it played back and then he mimicked that behavior. They also rehearsed for like weeks to try to like get this like childish boyish energy out of Tom Hanks.
1: Wow. That's um, interesting. Which
0: is interesting. So technically, from what I've read, so Mike, uh, before we recorded this, he said, "I know I'm recording or uh, researching Fateful Findings, but I found this article on Big, and it uh, stated that uh, the film was originally going to star Robert De Niro.
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Now there's conflicting uh, literature on this because some things say that it was originally Hanks, and then it went to De Niro, De Niro, and then back to Hanks, but." the script was almost 10 years old and then nobody cared about it. And then De Niro read it and said, I want to be in this. I want to play the main character. And then all of a sudden all the studios wanted to buy the script and make the movie. But then De Niro was too expensive because he was $6 million and Tom Hanks was less. Mm -hmm. So they switched to Tom Hanks, but then Tom Hanks was unavailable. So went back to De Niro and then, like, De Niro had some scheduling conflicts, so then it went back to Tom Hanks, but he did it for $2 million, so they saved $4 million. Yeah. So there's, like, this really strange sort of, like, complicated scheduling history that maybe nobody cares about, but I'm just going to talk at length about. <laughs> uh, about both scheduling and uh, just the price point, because De Niro is, like, three times the price of Tom Hanks. Good to know. But anecdotally speaking, according to the cast of Big... Um, the tone when De Niro was on was way, way heavier because um, De Niro's not, like, his funny isn't Tom Hanks' funny. Tom Hanks can be very playful and fun, whereas yeah. De Niro's very dry, sardonic, uh, a little more witty. When, he, so, yeah, when uh,
1: De Niro plays, like, what he's typecast as, when he plays against that a little bit, it's yeah. it's, it's what's funny, or when that is kind of put it into a an absurd situation where, it, you know, Like, meet the parents or analyze that. Those are just like, he's just playing what you expect him to do.
0: Yeah, so Elizabeth Perkins said when she auditioned, they had already cast Robert De Niro, and she was reading opposite him for the audition. Mm -hmm. And she said the tone was super fucking weird and dark. And it's more like a horror movie than a family comedy. And then he left because he was too expensive or there was some scheduling conflicts. Who knows? Tom Hanks came into the picture, and the tone totally changed. But the script was never touched. Yeah. So that's is, kind of interesting. It is
1: wild to think of Robert De Niro playing that character for sure.
0: It would be, I'm going to say it right now, a terrible film. It would be, yeah. Like just objectively, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been terrible.
1: imagine the scene in the hotel where Tom Hanks, character, is scared from the gunshots and the people <laughs> speaking a non-English language. <laughs> and uh, he's just scared and starts crying because he's a kid.
0: Yeah, like that wouldn't work. Imagine Robert De Niro doing that scene. Uh, I don't want to because it's making me feel yucky. Yes, I hate it. I hate it. Um. So, anyways, Tom Hanks got the gig, and it's a great film as a result. Um. So the the scene, so the famous uh uh Schwartz like store scene with the piano dance number with Tom Hanks and Robert Logia Logia. How the mm-hmm. hell do you say that? I don't know. I don't
1: know how you say that, Robert Loggia.
0: L-O-G-G-I-A. Feel free to DM us how to say that name because I don't have a fucking clue. Um, but he plays Tom Hanks' boss. Uh, so there were two uh, like stunt doubles who like knew the choreography, and they were there in case that they couldn't do the choreo. So they like fought really hard to like nail the dance number. Right. Which is kind of interesting.
1: I got a similarity between the two movies based on that.
0: Oh, hit me with it. Hit me with it. So
1: in Fateful Findings, um, uh, Neil Breen's character is always typing on a bunch of laptops. He has like five laptops going at once in his office. And the way that he types is like cartoonish. Mm -hmm. He's just like, it just looks like someone pretending to type on a keyboard. That's right. Uh, So both films feature characters dancing on keys in that, you know, in big, they're literally dancing on a giant keyboard. And then in, the I would say fateful findings the way that he types is like almost a dance you know it's like a well choreographed kind of like there's a bit of an art artfulness to it
0: and also like an exaggerated absurdity like both of them are exaggerated the fact that the keyboard is so big is exaggerated and then how he types is exaggerated
1: also the fact that he has five laptops is exaggerated like yeah a
0: laptop is exaggerated
1: in that there are five of them
0: Well, and both, I guess, have uh, extra big keys. In that, if you put the five laptops together, because obviously he's using it as one sort of central computer system, Mm -hmm. five laptops wide is much bigger than your standard laptop. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of need
1: extra keys to hack. So yeah, lots of yeah, yeah, just an abundance of keys. Also.
0: That's right. That's right. Also, I guess both films feature useless typing. Yes, for sure. Because Tom Hanks gets his like entry level like data entry job or whatever at this Mm -hmm. toy place. But like, what is he typing?
1: Well, but uh, actually, that's a great thing to bring up because it's established at the very, very beginning in the first like shot of the film that he's Mm -hmm. computer savvy
0: well yeah he's good at games
1: well he's good at games but that that is kind of like the 1980s kind of logic of like he's good at games therefore he's good at computers and when they show him working at the toy place for the first day the guy's like "Yeah, you gotta slow down because he's too good at it because he's he's good at computers and the same could be said for neil breen's characters that he's a, a writer but he's really a computer hacker he's so good at computers
0: yeah yeah uh, well that's great these Thank characters you. are almost the same
1: yeah yeah they, they both kind of have very vague not clear jobs involving computers a lot of the time
0: yeah uh, um, anything else about big oh oh yes so you know, you know the scene where he uh eats the baby corn like a normal corn tom hanks improvised that And then there's baby corn and he doesn't know what it is. He's never seen it before. So he eats it like a normal corn on the cob. It's quite funny, honestly. Great fucking bit. That's a good bit. Um, He he improvised that, made it in the movie. Pretty cool. Also, a huge portion of the uh, robots turning into animals or insects or whatever scene was also improvised. Oh, yeah. And uh, as a side note, I think they're called Insectopods. Came out three years before the film was released. So the Mm. idea had already come to fruition and was like a major toy seller.
1: Yeah, and then Transformers later did Beast Wars or whatever, where dinosaurs turned into robots. Yes.
0: Well, well, Insectopods is part of the Transformers franchise as well. Yeah. Transformers really has the, you know, like mechanical transformation toy business by the balls, hey? Yeah. Hanks won a Golden Globe and was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Honestly, it's insane that this film was nominated for so many awards. It was I also know. nominated for Best Screenplay at the uh, Oscars.
1: Well, a lot of movies have been
0: uh yeah sure sure um also i'd say this is sort of uh this was part of the heyday of uh little kid and adult body exploitation yes (laughs) um the the late 80s um there were a bunch of films that came out in the late 80s that were sort of like age reversal films yes oh oh here's another fact so it's one of the very few films to have the f word in it and still hold a pg rating yeah that was wild the other films are Spaceballs, Caddyshack two, and Beetlejuice. All uh, or the latter two came in nineteen eighty eight, and Spaceballs was nineteen eighty seven. Yeah,
1: it was jarring hearing the the kids say the f word. Yeah, but also it's... a child saying the f word in a movie seems like it would be. Uh, you'd have to give it a higher rating because kids would see this movie and be like, "I'm gonna say that." Yeah. Also, crazy that I saw this movie as a kid. Uh, considering how horny the movie is,
0: yes, like
1: he he gets with that older lady, and then also like she takes her shirt off. That just seems scandalous that I would have saw that as a child because I would have saw this movie when it came out.
0: Well, you would have had one of those weird little kid boners, you know? They she put says, it in there. They put it in there on purpose. They're like, oh, let's like let's give these kids a show. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's always it's always deliberate because everyone's well, a pervert. Oh, here we go. So big was part of a. Yeah, like a series of uh, sort of age-changing films in the 80s. So, Like Father, Like Son, 18 again, vice versa, 14 going on 30, and an Italian film called De Grande, which mm-hmm. came out a year before, and apparently Big was inspired by.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes sense, because it's called De Grande. <laughs> the
0: uh, the Big in yeah, Italian. The Big. The Big. Uh, anyways, uh, that's more of a Borat than Italian, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um... Uh yeah so anyways it's 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 kind of cool that it's part of a part of a, a exploitation subgenre.
1: I agree yeah.
0: I love that. Anytime I can, you know, bring that up it's great. The FAO uh Schwartz piano is also still around and I saw it when I was in grade 10. Yeah, I saw it too. That must yeah, be so just... annoying
1: to work there now.
0: Oh yeah, the movie, I think the movie ruined working at FAO Schwartz. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I think you know, a good thought exercise is to um just think of the film with De Niro. Oh, you know what would be really cool is a deep fake
1: with mm-hmm. De Niro's face. Yeah, that'd
0: be fun. So that the performance is still Hanks's, but it's like with De Niro's face. That'd be yeah. kind of a fun thing to watch. I would watch that.
1: Um so yeah, let's uh let's uh
0: let's chat about the similarities between both of these films. Great. Just thrilled. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I cranked a few out while we were chatting. What does that mean, you cranked a few out? <laughs> like a few similarities. Oh, you? so you wrote down Like I started rattling stuff. off the list.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. I was just not saying, like I don't gross. remember. Yeah, I don't remember that. We're on, we can see each other. What did resume. you crank out, you what dirty What did you perv? crank out, you dirty perv? I um, mean, I yeah. guess, Well, first thing yeah. I can discuss just going off of what we just discussed there's like a a, a horniness throughout both films which i kind a perversion. of version yeah there's a certain perversion to both films uh yeah like the well, findings he's always kind of getting with young women in it and
0: can that, i can i yes and that go yeah go yeah yeah both films attempt to be wholesome but are actually they they uh have a really nasty underbelly that's correct and, and it's, like, hypersexual and deeply inappropriate. And there's mm-hmm. a massive uh, sort of age gap thing going on in both films yes, because of yes. that girl in the swimming pool undressing in front of uh, Neil and yep. then Tom Hanks boning a lady in her 30s. Yes.
1: Yeah, and that, I think, yeah, it tries to be kind of moralizing, but there's, like, a kind of horniness to it and a darkness, I think. They both kind of explore the darkness of the real world mm-hmm. um, in a simple way.
0: Like, even think about the scene like it's so fucked up when he comes downstairs after turning big and the mom is like oh my god like you're in my kid's underwear what the fuck who are you you're like some fucked up pervert you're gonna abduct my kid blah blah blah. Well she, it's crazy, she I think man. she
1: says something like get away from me or like don't don't basically see she suggests like that he may sexually assault her.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah Which, absolutely I mean, that's it. Kudos to the
1: movie for going the realistic
0: route mm-hmm. as much as it possibly could. But that's such a, like, tonally, that's such a fine line to walk.
1: I know, yeah. I don't know that it really, yeah, watching it now, it feels like the realism in the film, uh, given, you know, how fantastical it is, just how they try and treat this fantastical idea so uh, realistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does kind of seem like everything is just way darker than it was ever intended. For whatever reason, in the 80s, this was just like a whimsical film. Yeah, it's very... Uh... Confusing and weird. Well, I think also when you play that score over top of it, like that doop 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 like that kind of eighties like whimsy uh you know that's in rom rom coms when that's kind of playing in the background as a woman is uh encountering a man in her child's underwear and screaming to not be sexually assaulted by him. Yeah. Uh it kind of just like changes the vibe of the scene enough that
0: audiences are like, this is funny to me. Right, right. Dare I say that's a Lynchian scenario you just described. Well, probably, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, so bada a bing, bada, bada boom. Both films have very sort of Lynchian tonality in them. Mm. And he, he could honestly put his name on both of these films and people would be like, okay. Yeah. All right. Some minor adjustments. Hyper Lynchian films. Yes, uh, Both yes. films have inexplicable magic. I know, yes. And they make no fucking sense. And the devices used make no sense. Like the yes. little box underneath the leaves. Like what? what even was that? I know. Well,
1: it was it was indeed a fateful finding.
0: Oh oh, I was gonna say another Lynchian thing is the black tarp room when he's naked. Yes, like what the fuck? I know.
1: Yes, I know. Well, it's supposed to be black, like a black void. Yeah, but, but I that's think so it was just Lynchian. A, it it's like the red curtain room. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was it was very
1: surreal. Yeah, that like that thing that they kept cutting back to. So it's like Neil Breen isn't as terrible as we all like to think he is because he has instincts like that where. There's like a certain, you know, thought going into it and the artist, I don't know. It just feels like he's trying to explore something. He's failing at it because he's just garbage bags.
0: Yeah. Also, isn't there a literal fucking scene where they go inside of a cube in Mulholland Drive? Mm-hmm. It's the same shit, but it came out like 10 years before. Man. Yeah. I bet you he loves David Lynch or he doesn't. It would be really funny if he's never heard of David Lynch. That would be yeah. fucking crazy And they have like this deeply shared cinematic DNA. But anyways, yeah, inexplicable magic.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, Big is in a way a body horror film, regardless of how whimsical it is. It mm-hmm. is kind of body horror. They don't really explore it enough as they could, but he does like awaken. Is just like confused by how large his body is and all of the things on it, the hair
0: mm-hmm. and whatnot. A bigger peener,
1: bigger peener. Yeah, I knew <laughs> that you were going to say that. <laughs> how did you
0: know? How um, did you know?
1: I mean, it is indeed a fateful finding that they find the wish machine in um, Big and that mm-hmm. they find it again. That's true. That's true. Also, I guess at the end of Big, when his teenage friend uh, do- does all of that like paperwork and tracks down where the machine is from, mm-hmm. like there's this undercurrent of bureaucracy kind of just going on in the background of Big while all of this whimsical stuff is happening. Yeah. Uh, so the kid goes and fills out some forms so that they can find where where this machine is somehow yeah i just found that kind of like a weird fascinating kind of turn where it's like bureaucracy kind of saves the day in this movie that's kind of whimsical like i guess it's set in the adult world so bureaucracy is a big part of that um but uh also i guess by that token fightful findings you know bureaucracy is ever present as well to the point where Breen rebels against it via his rant and gets everybody to shoot themselves in the face.
0: Yeah. So bureaucracy
1: comes to it comes to some sort of head at the end of both films. Yeah.
0: Well, well, like both films sort of have a depiction and have a stance on like corporate corruption. Yeah. Because like the one guy at the toy place is all about money. Yeah. That's true. Whereas Tom Hanks's character is all about play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that loath the word i hate yeah. so much play and playing yeah, it's a little too much playing in this movie can, can, can I a little say bit that? too much i'll yeah, say a that bit. a little too much playing but yeah it's just like corporate corruption is sort of the 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 antagonist of both films mm-hmm. uh and uh you know there's um, like a hor- horrific yeah. suicide in both films as a result
1: you say there's suicide in both films
0: i said a horrific suicide what what, what what happens in Big? I'm joking. There's oh, no okay. <laughs> suicide. I just like to say that things are there that aren't. You know. What well, I, mean?
1: I got to say uh, there's a darkness in Big once again, because in, in order for the film to justify how he's kind of gone off and is living in an apartment by himself with a trampoline and all that, mm-hmm. his family is convinced that he is dead or kidnapped. Yes. So his mom is going basically through a horror film throughout
0: the film. And which, which they uh, really sort of uh, conveniently ignore.
1: They ignore it, you know, to the probably to the film's benefit because otherwise it would be a much sadder, darker film.
0: Well, how fucked up is it when he phones her and he's like, "Oh yeah, he's he's okay, he's fine," and it's like, "Oh my god, this Tom Hanks character is like a fucking like p- pedophile abductor in the eyes of the family." Yeah. Oh man! Again, walking such a fine line.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it was, I'm trying to, tr- I'm trying to track in my mind the timeline of this movie and like kind of the American hysteria of like Stranger Danger. Uh, I feel like that was a 90s thing. Kids I think it being was. being kidnapped because I feel like this movie was probably pre-kidnapping scare. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. kids were being kidnapped in throughout all of humanity. But um, yeah, I feel like this movie kind of predated just the hysteria that kind of, cable news brought forward about just everybody being it's 10 o'clock do you know where your children are that must have been in the 80s
0: i don't know i don't know either that'd be interesting to think about and look up do you know that catchphrase
1: though is 10 o'clock do you know where your children are have you heard that
0: no i've i've never heard of that no um uh,
1: that's like a thing that's just like a a, a thing. slogan it's like a thing that they said on the on the news like it's 10 o'clock do you know you where your children are what a what an arbitrary time well it's because of the 10 o'clock news
0: oh right who the say that Ooh, the on the hell's news. staying up oh, till a,
1: 10 it's a PSA I guess it's a public service announcement that was used through the 60s through the late 80s so this movie did not so there was I guess there was kind of like a uh, kidnapping scare going on throughout the entire history of television really so <laughs> once cable <laughs> once, like, news, the
0: news kind of came about
1: then like once yeah.
0: live TV came to fruition mm-hmm. the late 1950s onward
1: Yeah, then kids were scared,
0: or parents were scared about where their kids were. So, yeah, crazy. Anyway. But only at 10 onward. It's 10 o'clock, do you know where your kids are? Weird, man, that's fucking weird. But
1: anyway, so in Big, yeah, you have this dark undercurrent of just the the mom being scared that her child is dead or kidnapped, and in Fateful Findings, Neil Breen's character is hit by a car at the very beginning in the first scene, and then everybody thinks he's dead for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh and then he when he finally comes comes to from his coma, uh he's a ghost sometimes? Or he can like go into the
0: ghost world? One one could argue that, you know, he was given sort of like godly powers by God and he brought him back to life because he had to be on the surface of the earth to like do some mystical shit, you know. You could really like tie in this like that he's jesus i think you really could do that yeah well
1: i mean he dies and then comes back so he is jesus quite
0: literally comes yeah he he rises again
1: well also the rock that he finds in that box in the forest when he's a kid that must have been the thing that gives him magical powers and maybe he didn't die because he found that rock and so when he got hit by a car it should have killed him but it didn't
0: because he's Mm -hmm. magical now like what the fuck man yeah oh it's so bad. <laughs> it just doesn't make any fucking sense. uh that's why it's so good. That's why it's so good. Oh my god! Also, you know when you make a car, fifty percent of people love it and fifty percent of people hate it. But what are you gonna do? Kill yourself? <laughs> that's art, man, or whatever the fucking yeah. That's is. great. Yeah, fuck. That's funny. I guess, uh, no, maybe this isn't true. Do both films end with characters learning something? Mm, No.
1: I don't think... I think Neil Breen's characters never learn anything because they know everything going
0: into it. I think he's of that kind of weird egocentric indie film. You know what? So both main characters don't learn anything. The characters around them do, but they don't. Mm. Because I'd say like the Tom Hanks character is just still a little boy. Sure, maybe he learns, like, how to pay for rent and stuff, but he doesn't change, really.
1: No, he doesn't really. I don't think he really comes away from any of that with anything, I don't think. Yeah, you're right. He just yeah, kind of is then,
0: like, I'm I'm a teen again. And Neil Breen is like, I am God. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, interesting.
1: interesting. Um. The, also, both movies, they begin and end the film as children, the main character.
0: That's right. Because the first That's shot
1: right. of both films, the character is a child. Mm-hmm at the end and the beginning so there you go a palindrome
0: yeah you know cinematic palindrome yes uh both films involve a lot of talking on the phone
1: it's true a lot of problems are solved over the phone
0: yes very auditory medium displayed visually in a film
1: yeah it's also hilarious i mean it's always fun to watch these bad movies and then just point out all the dumb scenes Um, which we try to not do but it's we try to not do but it's also really hard because it's so fun and yeah one of the best ones at the beginning of fateful findings is he's on a phone call with somebody and it only ever shows the woman talking and then when it cuts back to him he's just walking and not talking and then it cuts Mm -hmm. back to her and she's still having the conversation and so they don't they choose not to show what he is saying even Mm -hmm. though they are cutting back to him yeah that's so wild Again, very Lynchian detail. Very, oh, very super Lynchian for sure. Yeah, for the sure. whole
0: opening, the opening six minutes, I was like, is this, did David Lynch make this? Like, this feels like a Lynch film. Like, what the fuck is going on? That
1: is why Neil Breen is an artist. Say what you will, he's still an artist, you know? I mean, you might not like it, but what's he going to do, kill himself?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bang. Uh, In front here's of a the sim- green screen. Well, both characters are transformed via a magical token. Yes, and the like slogan for the film is "It's a magical day" because remember she has that notebook that she writes "It's a magical day" once they find that token, but they mm-hmm. find they find that magical rock in the in the box. Then mm-hmm. the little girl writes "It's a magical day" in the notebook, and then by coincidence she drops that same notebook that she carries as an adult for some reason with the same with the word "It's a magical day" in it.
0: Dude, and just that's as how he finds note. out how fucking jam-packed her fucking pocket was was insane that (laughs) made no sense oh my god you got like a flip phone and like a a three inch by six inch notepad inside of a woman's tight jean like early aughts low-cut pocket and what the hell and that notebook
1: only has one page with something written on it that she's kept for her whole life
0: yeah, yeah. In a way, you know, I guess like both films have characters that will keep something their whole life. Oh, For her, yeah. it's a notepad. For Tom Hanks's character, it's the memory that he was 30 once when he was 13. Yeah, that's
1: right, yeah. <laughs>
0: pretty pretty neat.
1: I was going to say both films, the, the beginning is a magical day. Because mm-hmm. you could say big, you could say the theme, it's a magical day is, yeah, you could say the theme of fateful findings, it's a magical day is also the theme of big.
0: Because it is so a magical the, day. So the slogan of big is... Do you have a big secret? Yes. And both films involve a big secret. Totally big secret. Because Neil Breen's character is like God or some shit throughout and like all magical and shit. And Tom Hanks is like, I'm secretly a little
1: boy. Yes. In a man's body having sex with a woman. He's, Neil Breen's character is a magical character. Like he's mystical in some way, but then he also is an expert at technology. And I guess you could say like both films kind of explore the intersection of magic and technology because Tom Hanks' character is obviously good with computers and he's turned big by magic. And he designs like a comic book that's like
0: also a computer, right? Yeah.
1: So it is kind of the intersection of magic and technology that kind of make things happen in the film.
0: Wow. uh, Another similarity is both films sort of portray... the unbelievable american dream which is that you rise to success very quickly by virtue of falling ass backwards into it yes because he's a quote-unquote author but also a hacker and he mm-hmm. has a book out and he won't write another book he won't do it he won't write another book no nope. he won't write another book <laughs> that scene was fucking crazy and he throws
1: his books books around
0: he, he throws three books and he keeps saying, I won't do it. I won't write you another book. I won't write you a book. There won't be another book. And it's yeah. like, oh, geez. It's ironic because he wrote those lines and they're shitty. They're shitty lines. And then Tom Hanks, as a literal boy, somehow becomes one of the highest power people in this massive corporation. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, so it's sort of this like very unrealistic uh, display of the American dream and reaching great success.
1: Which Tom Hanks, I think, later explores uh, in Forrest Gump, where he's a
0: character who falls ass backwards, upwards. Similarly, Tom Hanks had the little kid who plays young Forrest was filmed, and he watched that playback to mimic the accent and the physicality.
1: Are you serious?
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah, he used the same acting method for both films, and in both films, he uh, plays just sort of like a... A shitty character who gets all this stuff handed to him. Well, he's
1: kind of an adult child in many ways in both films. He is, yeah. 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 I I mean, we have already pointed out Neil Breen is kind of an adult child in these films because he kind of has a childlike view of how the world works. Mm -hmm.
0: Both films uh, sort of are examples of a director working with the same actor multiple times. Mm. So Neil Breen works with himself every time. Yes. Yes. And you can tell that Penny Marshall sort of has a particular taste in actors because she wanted De Niro. She ended up working with De Niro on her next film, Awakenings. That's right. And then the film after that, Tom Hanks as the coach in A League of Their Own. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And she directed all three of those movies. And Neil Breen is constantly casting himself because he's an artist. And even if people don't like it, what's he going to do? Kill himself? Yes. Come on. (laughs) He's a real, he's a uh, he's a friggin' filmmaker. You know how friggin' hard it is to make a feature film? Yeah, it's so friggin' hard. hard. It is friggin' hard. It's the hard, titular yeah. friggin' hard. Yeah. I just want to say that. It doesn't make any sense, but whatever.
1: I I mean, both films have characters who have girl problems. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, the character, I mean, he's 13 and he's uh, a 30-year-old woman, falls in love with him, and then, like, that's a problem. Plus, also, he can't get with, like, the teenager he wants to get with when he's a teen because mm-hmm. he's too tiny. He's not big. Yeah. Uh, and then in Fateful Findings, every character kind of has a whole movie kind of happening with them. There's characters that, that Neil Breen's character interacts with who are not really specified what his relationship to them are or why they're in the movie. And mm-hmm. sometimes you get these stories where they're just fighting a lot, but you don't know who they are or what they're bringing to the movie. They have nothing to do with Neil Breen's character, really. They're just friends, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he has all of these characters who are having fights with each other. And why, I guess, is this, why are we being shown this? But that happens in Tommy Wiseau's movies too, where you just have these like background conflicts that are constantly going on that are not resolved and that bring nothing to the film. But just so that other characters can be in the movie. Yeah, what's up with that? What's up with that?
0: Also, like uh, maybe, you know, that's in big because, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth Perkins? Mm Mm-hmm. She's dating that douchey guy, and they're constantly sort of bickering as Tom Hanks is climbing the corporate ladder, and then mm-hmm. she leaves him for Tom Hanks. Yeah. So it's kind of, a, it's in both films, you know? Wow. That's right. That's great, man. They're the same fucking movie. Like, I know, let's totally. just say that right now. Totally. Same damn film.
1: Totally. Anything else? You got anything else?
0: You brought this up earlier, but both films are body horror. Yes, for sure. Which I think you already said, but I just want to really impress. Well, oh, I the didn't point. say
1: that, but I didn't say that Neil Breen's film with body horror,
0: but it, but it is because he's hit by a car covered in blood, has sex with his wife yeah, in the yeah, shower right, covered in right, blood you're right, you're, right, you're right. while he still has his, uh, like thing on. It's very Cronenberg, very, lynching, yeah, right. very Cronenberg and, uh, and big, you know. He's a, uh, you know, is all big and scary and stuff. <laughs> and I'd say New York is like a, the embodiment of body horror as a city.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. That's yeah, good. And Las Vegas in some ways is as well. Yes. Uh, and because like also in big, New York was in it and New York was what? The fifth character, I think.
0: I believe so. And yeah, Las was. Vegas was the fifth character. Yeah. Also. In, uh, <laughs> Fateful findings.
1: <laughs> yeah. Supposedly because <laughs> he lives in Las Vegas and makes his movies there uh a lot of neil breen's films feature the desert this was one of the Uh, rare films that where he doesn't go into the desert for some sort of weird neo mystical kind of like does
0: go in the desert to drive his car there's a driving scene in the desert okay well there you go yeah Yeah, so so even that it's a little more subtle subdued but it's there
1: yeah yeah so there you go we did find that these two films were the same and it was fun to talk about uh neil breen for a change because uh, yeah, explored his films, and I mean, he's got four other ones, an upcoming sixth film as well.
0: So we're, we're got- real Brina files now. I think we're 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 filled to the brain. Would you watch another one? Oh yes, absolutely. Like right
1: away? Um, no, give me two weeks. Out of interest, would you just like watch it? You know, put it on, not for the podcast.
0: No, it's got to be for the podcast. Okay, wow. I'm not watching, I mean, I'm watching some hot trash, but very specific hot trash voluntarily, but it's got to be for the pod, yeah. I need an external motivator, you know, because I just, life's for living.
1: Also, I mean, this might be showing our cards a little bit too much, but we did both watch it like on a downloaded file, and
0: Mm -hmm. I watched it at one point, Three speed I watched it at one and a half
1: <laughs> yeah, so,
0: and so the dialogue was kind of fucked up, but the physicality was normal speed, yeah, which is crazy
1: it's it's a wild experience watching it at that at a higher speed because when you watch it at one point three speed, it feels like a normal movie, but it's much shorter than the intended length, yes, because i I would occasionally go back to regular speed, and it was like so. The pacing is so slow in this movie it's like it's insane how like a camera will tilt down from like the top of a tree down to where the characters are and it'll take like 30 to 40 seconds so you see mostly oh, yeah. tree for so long
0: very lynchian very lynchian uh okay exaggerated uh time expansion you know what i mean yeah yeah that's okay, a lynchian okay. trait yeah
1: yeah, it is fascinating because in the um, documentary, no, not the documentary. He doesn't want it to be called a documentary. The master class thing that he does.
0: Watch the, him sue us because you called it a fucking documentary, I know, I know. man. Oh, we can, we don't have the legal fees to to take care of that man. Come on. Supposedly, he cracks down on YouTubers. Oh, really? Yeah. But there's a he's, couple he's of videos He's one of those on filmmakers.
1: There. Well, there's a couple of videos on there that are still up where where they mm-hmm. rip on his film and he doesn't take him those down maybe because the views are so high that he's getting a lot of like fans from it now in his masterclass he does talk about i saw someone i read an article where someone summarized it they're like i watched this five hour thing and mm-hmm. they summarize like you know how iron ironic that the aesthetics of this masterclass are just so poor when he's giving you instruction on how to make a high quality film mm-hmm. but but the the other thing is that one of Neil Breen's big points is that when you're watching a movie, you should know how time passes in the film. You should think about the fourth dimension when you're making a movie. So you should uh, think about like when you're watching a movie, how much time is taking place. You, and you shouldn't spell it out. The audience should just be able to know. And I think that is actually probably a pretty good tip. Because when you're watching movies, sometimes you know how long time how much time is passing in the film and sometimes they don't really telegraph that at all i think big what takes place over the course of what a week or is it six months? weeks six weeks oh it is six, six weeks.
0: weeks because it takes six weeks to get that thing back yeah that'll that tell him where zoltar is yeah, yeah so they do tell they, you in the
1: movie and it does make sense help. but at the same time you kind of don't know how much time is passing in the film for like a chunk of it mm-hmm. and i think in neil breen's movies i
0: think you kind of know this kind of happens over the course of what a week i have no fucking clue man Yeah. It's ironic. I would say that film could have taken place over one day.
1: Yeah. But uh, I guess it's just kind of funny that he uh, talks about, you should be thinking about the fourth, fourth dimension and how you illustrate how time passes in the film. But then when you watch his movie, the pacing is just so slow and he has no sense of just how to pace a
0: movie. I'd also say sometimes it doesn't matter about the time. No. I think some films don't need you to understand how long... It's taken to do something or get somewhere. Good example of that, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
1: <laughs> Did you just think of a movie you didn't even consider what you're actually saying? It looked like you were just yeah. trying to
0: think of any movie. I think, uh, I think Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is like overtly in one afternoon, like literally oh, yeah. three hours because the tide comes in. Actually, they do a great job of telling you how long it took in the fantasy world that's a terrible example what about das boot how long did how long were they gone no maybe months i I haven't seen that movie in a long time they probably spell it out with like a calendar okay how about this chitty chitty Uh, Chitty, bang
1: bang is a great example because they illustrate how much time is passing and the audience knows without them having to say this how much time is passing they don't tell you this is all in an afternoon they just kind of give you some sort of visual thing, so I think. But Breen's... it's a
0: bad example because I'm saying you can tell a story without needing to at all address how oh, long yeah. it took. Yeah. Well, I think
1: that's what you H- is about saying. How about this
0: drive? Drive. You don't know. Like, did it take place over a month or one week? Boom.
1: Mm, yeah, I don't know. Doesn't take matter. that.
0: It doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, there are some movies. It just doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Fateful Findings is one of those even though he's like a big proponent of like time is important. The fourth dimension is important. I thought the fourth dimension was smell, but (laughs) what do I know? Yeah. I think that's the
1: fourth sense. Interesting. Yeah. It's weird how the sixth sense is another version of seeing, you know? Yeah. In a way it's it's just, it's like 5.5. You'd say
0: not even less 5.2. Yeah, five point two. Yeah, it's twenty. It's twenty percent extra because all everything's real except for like, and then plus a ghost. Yeah, it's not like it's not like he can see, smells. No, he can't. Yeah, like no, you know he can't how smell like, there's like aliens that can see temperature. Mm-hmm. Like that's way fucking cooler than like oh, I can just literally see a ghost with my eyes. Mm-hmm. Can't smell the ghost. Can't taste the ghost. Can taste the rainbow. Anyways, that's a Skittles <laughs> reference for all y'all out there. Um, it's the official let's, let's, candy let's, of. It's the official candy from Justin the cane. F- Official candy. So the official drink Fago Fago, uh, and official candy Skittles. We're featured by. Oh my God! Mike just pulled up a cola. Fago cola. Of course, it's the official drink. Man, God bless. You know they send us a flat every month, and we just we just lap it up with their tongues you know like a dog put it in a bowl
1: yeah Yeah, put it in a metal bowl outside of a of a restaurant
0: Yep. (laughs) yeah (laughs) so specific
1: oh yeah Uh, you gotta
0: yeah um yeah yeah, you're right the sixth sense is a stupid title the fifth and a bit sense is what it should have been called yeah
1: well the the five point second sense but that doesn't make any sense (laughs) Oh, that, that would be confusing. It's like, what does this mean? The 5.2nd sense is like, how,
0: Dude, how do you Do you even... know what the twist is in the 5 and the 2nd th- <laughs> senses? What? Yeah. yeah. It's a huge twist. You can see and see dead people. Yeah. Not just see dead people. You can see... Also, spoiler alert. Sorry. Gave that one away. But you're fucking 30 years late, so get over it.
1: Yeah, I guess if it was called the five five 5.2nd sense, people would be it would be spoiled because they'd be like, well, what are the five senses? And be like, okay, so there's got to be an addition to the fifth sense, which is that you can see something else. Or what else could you see? The only logical thing is dead people.
0: So are the senses in a specific order?
1: I assume that they are. I haven't read a biology textbook in a long
0: time. I've never read a biology textbook. (laughs) I am illiterate and I don't know how to read, but... (laughs) I don't know. Is it a specific list, or is it just whatever you want? I don't know. Yeah, don't touch, know. smell, looking.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, the Hearing. real
1: sixth, the real sixth sense would have been like sensing that dead people are around, but not actually being able to see them. Like
0: go- goose goose pimples.
1: Yeah, but that's feeling, so that's another sense. Ah, oh, fuck. And then you, me. if you yeah, smelled right. like a rotten egg smell when dead people are around, you're like, oh no, there's a dead person. It's like that's still a smell, so that'd be the fourth. Th- or a four point second sense right?
0: I guess the 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 issue is there are only five senses, like what what like we're we're describing something so abstract, I don't even think we can fathom it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean like yeah, yeah. like a like a sixth sense is unfathomable,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean if M night just made the sixth sense what it was because that's the easiest way to kind of explain what's going on but it's with so that kid in a, I know I know but in a visual medium like that is the most effective way to convey oh dead right. people are around so it's like of course you can see them but it is he he, he did make a mistake because it is yeah just an additional version of the, being able to see so it's not a sixth sense it would be yeah five point seconds <laughs> 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 or something stupid like that
0: <laughs> so it's interesting you bring that up why Ratatouille is so amazing is it takes a visual medium and it addresses every single sense except for sight, basically, mm. and represents it well. Yes, it represents smell and taste visually. Mm. What about? Isn't that? What about and you? Cuts? You can like you can you can taste ratatouille or you can taste like whatever it is, the fuck they're making mm-hmm. by the visual sort of uh, things, stimuluses, stimuli, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of neat, but. Yeah, anyways, I guess uh, M. Night sucks. <laughs> Neil Hold Breen on. rocks. And Tom Hanks is a pervert? Well, are those M- the three
1: takeaways. M. Night makes movies that are Breen
0: esque at times. He does. He does, absolutely.
1: I haven't seen the old People Beach, but it feels like. What? Old? The new M. Night movie? Oh,
0: that's an M. Night movie? Yeah, where you go oh to the Oh, my God. Beach I had no fucking old. clue. Oh. Yeah. Why, what's the premise? I don't understand how You that's... go to the
1: beach and the beach makes you old. You just age faster at the beach. What, how is that a dramatic premise? It's a horror premise. Just that you're accelerating through your age and then you eventually die quicker.
0: But why do they go to the beach? Because uh, I just want to go to the beach, beach. How quickly are they aging? Uh, I guess they, I haven't seen it, but I assume they just get old fast. And then if they were to leave the beach, they're still aging too fast?
1: Yeah. So, this is a preposterous premise to you, but then you said Big was a great film. And it's about a person who talks to, like, a, essentially a claw machine and gets and ages, you know, 20 years. And then you're like, this is good. I like this. And also, the, the teenage, the, uh, a grown woman falls in love with a teenager brain.
0: I stand by it. Fuck you. Mike. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, old sounds stupid. Big is great. Except. Yeah. That it is it is aging in a very fascinating, oftentimes uh disastrous way. Right, right, right. And disturbing and at times. Both
1: explore the fourth dimension.
0: Sight. As Breen asks us to. Yeah. The fourth dimension, seeing a calendar transpire. <laughs> uh well, this feels over. Question mark. Hey, I'm not done yet. Just kidding, I am. It's over. Yeah, yeah okay. It's let's over. Wrap this, let's wrap this puppy up. So as, as yeah, thanks say. for
1: listening to, from Justin to Kane, everybody. Uh, this has been another great episode. Uh, follow us on social media from Justin to Kane with the number two. Send us an email, why don't you? At from Justin to Kane, all the words, no no numbers in there at gmail.com. Was
0: from Justin to Kane without the two taken on Instagram?
1: No, it was uh, too long. One of the one of the things I think it was Twitter. Or, We've talked about this already but i think one of the things twitter or letterboxd uh didn't let you have a certain amount of num- letters oh so i, I had see. so it was like one letter too much to have the t-o mm. so the number two worked so that was mm. why i just kind of was like made it uniform across all of them right except for go. our gmail except for our gmail which is from justin toucan all words at gmail.com so send us was an email. from justin toucan with the number two taken I assume not. No, I think that <laughs> our title is very unique, and that why would anybody call anything this <laughs> unless it referenced those two movies, which is what our imagine, first
0: podcast did. Imagine your work email is from Justin Two Kane, and you have to tell people that they're like, "Hey, I just need to email you this like uh, information." You are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure." My email is from Justin Two Kane, and they're like, yes. "Excuse me, what the fuck does that mean?" And you are like, "Think about it." We just walk away. Yeah. And they never think about it.
1: They don't think about it. But they know
0: deep down that it's about those two movies. Because they're huge American Idol fans. And they love cinema. Yes. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think the big thing standing in the way of people that you interact with on the street, when you talk to them about our podcast in real life, and sometimes people don't know what the hell we were talking about when you tell them the title. But -hmm. then some people really do. And it's it yes. entirely hinges on whether or not they know that there was a movie called From Justin to Kelly that came out in 2003. I it have two like
0: reactions. I like tell people and they're like, what? Or I tell people and they're like, I remember, I remember that movie. I remember when it came out. It's so bad. And it's like, exactly, you fucking yeah. get it. It's yeah. really um, polarizing.
1: Yeah. But this podcast, it doesn't matter if you don't understand the title the first time you hear it. Once you listen to our first episode or any of the episodes, you get it because the, I mean, the premise is clear. We explained it right in the first like 30 seconds of the episode <laughs> and it's literally on
0: all of the websites that we have. That's, so. that's true. We do really. We drill at home. Hard on yeah. The head. yeah. Yeah. Drill it home. That's a good and phrase. And then we do yeah, sp- yeah.
1: spend on, uh, almost an hour and a half just <laughs> talking about two movies and talking about how they're the same for some reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it, it makes it so that we can talk about two different movies. We can explore good movies and bad movies whenever we want.
0: Great. Well, you've already said it. It feels over. I think people have already stopped listening. If you're still listening, don't. Yeah, stop now. Uh, go do something productive. Make dinner. I don't know. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Go for a walk. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. That being said. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Have a great walk. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you get some treats this week. Little yeah. doggy, get, get some milk bones. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Maybe, you know what? We'll see you at the dog park next weekend. How see about you that? See at the dog
1: park, canines.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Keep on barking. Keep on barking. Bye. Goodbye.